I think the most important thing is like if you're feeling something don't deny that it's happening because it just comes back and just stays there it just it doesn't it just suffocates you so you just have, almost have to let let it wash over you and just be like yes it is raining it is windy it's not great but I've done this work I can do hard things you just have to sort of remind yourself of all the things that you've done Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 22 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I had such a treat welcoming back my friend, the Marathon Marcus, for a deep dive discussion on his sub three breakthrough at Dorney Lake. What an inspiring journey it's been following Marcus from four-hour and 55-minute marathon are all the way down to two hours and 56 minutes. Wow. We discussed his last three big races that were building blocks to achieving his breakthrough at Dorney Lake at Manchester, Berlin, and New York. We reviewed his buildup, any changes in key workouts, lessons learned, his last night's meal, what did he have for breakfast the morning of the race, his fueling strategy, And most of fun of all, the race day blow by blow, Marcus takes us through it all. The mental game, the mindset and mantras that he used out there on the course. I'm so thrilled for Marcus, and I'm sure you're all going to be super inspired hearing him take us through it all. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Marcus. Welcome back to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. I'm so excited to have you back on the show as our first official returning guest and under the absolute best and most exciting of circumstances. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Ron. Thanks for having me back. The last time we spoke, I was in New York, so I'm wearing obviously the top as well. Um, <laughs> 20 seconds away from sub three. So yeah, it was a different times, a bit disappointed, but yeah, feeling great in the moment. You should be feeling incredible, my friend. Um, what what an unbelievable uh, a chase down! You know, I already have the title for the show: chasing down a sub three. Um, for people that are fortunate enough to you know put a huge goal out there, um, whether it's a Boston qualifier or you know trying to hit a huge time goal or maybe making the Olympic trials if they're super elite. Now some of them, some of them, and some of us are lucky enough to be able to do something like that the first time they really put that big bullseye out there. But for most of us, it, we put a big target out there, a big goal. We're usually going to fail a number of times before we actually achieve our goal. And some of us actually never get to that big goal um, because they're. They're so huge and they're so big. But in your case, you had two incredibly close efforts um, that took place before smashing through the the barrier and not just running, you know, a 259 to 256, my friend. So you just like, you blitzed right through there. So um, before you get into telling us all about your race day and your experience, tell everybody who is for whatever reason, maybe is not following you at this moment in time, and they will be after today for sure. Um, tell them about your first two near misses chasing down sub three. So I put the goal out last year, I think all the year prior that I was going to go for sub three in Manchester. I was feeling confident. So it was April last year, April, uh, 2019. And 
training had gone really well. It's probably one of my best training blocks, you know, in terms of like hitting my sessions and things like that. I was feeling really confident. And yeah, I uh, had a dodgy chicken risotto the night before, <laughs> scuppered my plans. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was a real kind of rude awakening to um, the, the world of sort of mouth and running and the things that can happen really. Yeah. Um, I'm just so glad you brought that up because um, we put all the work in and, and most of us that are doing a big buildup to try to run a Boston qualifier or some big time that we're after, you know, we'll do anywhere from 12, 14, some of us will even do 16 weeks. So if you think about that, that's three to four months of most of us getting up before the sun rises or some of us, me, I've got the nickname the vampire because I do a whole lot of my runs and and bikes, bike rides like really, really late at night. But the discipline it requires is huge. And, you know, you're getting up, you're doing three and a half, four months worth of work. You peak, you're fit, you're ready, you get on the line, and then you go out to dinner, maybe with a couple of friends just to get yourself relaxed the night before the race. And you have a chicken risotto and it all goes wrong. And it's, you know, I, I'm so glad that you brought it up because, hey, you know, it can happen to anybody. And we have all these adages for a reason, you know, nothing new on race day. Well, that race day, it really, we can kind of almost block that off to like race weekend, right? I mean, if you're going to get into your hotel and, you know, whatever your routine is, you got to figure out that routine, right? When we're not racing locally, of course, you know, if you're getting on a plane, you're going to Tokyo or for me coming to London or you coming to New York, you got to have some system that you put in place that's going to work, right? Where are you going to stay? When are you going to check in? What are you going to eat? You know, what are your snacks going to be? And then what's your morning like regiment like? So there have it. You have a great cycle. You're feeling fit. And you go out and you have this meal and then basically you, you got sick that evening, right? Or, or was it really more like the next morning? It was that evening. So I, I like that great pun you used at the start. Uh, I'm glad that you brought this up because I literally did bring it up quite a bit of it to us <laughs> in the evening. So, oh yeah, I was just being sick. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned as a rookie mistake, even at that time, was that just don't eat anything new um, pre-race. So uh, something I learned from that, time going forward is just like i'd repeat the same it sounds obsession almost but i'd have the same type of meals before my long runs and i keep them quite plain and just what i needed for the, the next day um but sometimes you need to go through these things and essentially um i remember being sick and just like my head's in the toilet just throwing up and i'm thinking man like i put all this effort in and i've just completely messed this up by having a meal what a bloody idiot like, i can't believe i've just messed this up um, so I think, okay, what's the, the best next thing I can do? Just uh, try and drink as much water as I can, try and like clear my system. And then tomorrow morning, if I can hold my breakfast down and I feel okay, then I'll go for it. If I don't feel great, then I won't run. And thankfully, I could hold my breakfast down and I felt good. And yeah, I got to the race, was feeling okay up to mile 20. So I was probably running about 6.50, just around that sort of pace um, with a pacer. And I got to mile 20 and I just, my stomach just went, I just felt it just kind of that sort of feelings of trying to be not to be throw up. Um, and I just thought if I push now, I'm going to throw up and I don't know where I'm going to finish or whatever. So I had to let those guys go and they went off into the distance. And that's kind of like in your head, you're thinking, man, that's gone. And you're just trying to juggle all these things, but it was a real sense of panic really. I was just like, what do I do next? It's like, don't stop. So you're just trying to slow down, but still keep going. So it was a strange experience, but like 
it taught me a lot and actually really sort of came into the fore, especially in this marathon, which I'll get into uh, when I broke three. I think it's a a couple of wonderful lessons you learned again, um, because it's super important whether the long runs are just a a cruising long run and there's actually no work involved, right? For everybody listening at home, you know, there's really two major fundamental type of long runs that you're going to get done in the course of a marathon training cycle. Some are just to be on your feet for a certain length of time and pace is absolutely not important at all. Um, they're just for you to be out there on your feet, whether it's on a trail, on the roads, whatever, you know, surface you're running on. It's just a matter of to be out there on your feet for a certain amount of time. If you're being coached or coach will advise you, you know, what sort of pace that you want to run. And it's an opportunity for you to practice your fueling, you know, whether you use Morton gels or goose or, um, you use like gummies or whatever your, um, nutritional fueling substance and choices, you, you give it a go. You practice all these things, uh, to your point, Marcus, on, you know, on these long runs as you're building up, but that also extends to the night before. And I'm glad that we're getting into this conversation because if your thing is to eat spaghetti or rigatoni or a pizza or whatever it might be, whatever it is that you know agrees with your stomach, doesn't matter if it agrees with anybody else's, if it agrees with yours and you know you'll you'll digest the food, you'll get it down, it's got some sort of decent component of carbs in there, you know, that's good. Stick with it. It doesn't matter if anybody else is, is into it. You know, it may not be fun that you might miss out on some big group meal, but you know what? You can go with the group meal when the race is over. Cause you know, at that point, you know, you've had your race, you've had your experience. So, um, so you got there, you made it and you made it the next, you know, you got through the next morning, you were able to hold the food down. You get 20 miles into the race where you're holding six fifties, which is right there, you know, in sub three territory running with a group. That, um, that's powerful though, because you, you, in many ways you saw them run away, you know, so you had to process that and it's like, there goes my dream. (laughs) They're running away. But I think it just speaks to your character and anybody out there that's been through a challenging moment. Like it develops your, your toughness, your inner toughness. Like, okay, you went through that. Some people wouldn't have even got out of bed to run the race the next day. Some people would have just said, oh, I'm already screwed. I'm going to let this go. You went out there, you gave it your best. You still had a great race. I mean, what did you run? I mean, I know you ran a really solid time. Yeah, I ran 3.05 and um, I literally threw up at the finish line, the final push. So it's like lined with all these people. It's just like, what a finish. <laughs> I think I remember somebody posted that picture. I don't think it was you. I think somebody, I do remember something in Instagram stories or something, but I was like, yeah, you know, just what we need our friends, like throwing, throwing up the shot of us, uh, you know, hurling at the finish line, you know, right. Good stuff. Yeah, we can always count on friends for this stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, I've got like the video from it as well. And the photographer just seems to take snap after snap. So I've just got <laughs> this reams of photos of me. It's just like, thanks for that. Yeah, well, he was he was zeroed in on you, you know, hurling. And, you know, that was obviously the most interesting moment. So you, so you have that experience and you learn from it. So you learn like what am I going to stick with my meals of the night before and what I'm going to do. And you, you, you still come, come really, really close. You go from there, you go to Berlin and you chip away even further because we were both there. And, you know, a lot of people complain about the weather. I thought the weather was great personally. I mean, rainy and, and you know, rainy and cool is about as good as you're going to get. Sure. I mean, we'd rather not run in the rain and get soaked. But to me, I honestly, I thought the, the weather was pretty solid. And I think, did you go 301 something there? 302? Yeah. Yeah. It's about, yeah, 301. Yeah. 301s. So, you know, big jump back down, you know, cut another four minutes off. And I'm assuming that you got your meal situation sorted with Berlin again, right? You didn't, didn't take any chances, didn't fool with that. 
And then, so Berlin is only, let's see. So we go Berlin. You did not do Chicago. I did Chicago. So you had about what, three, you had four weeks between Berlin and New York. And you came over and you, you were inside of one minute in New York. You were three hours and what, 20 seconds, three hours. Yeah, and, three hours and 19 seconds. Three hours so 20 seconds. 20 away. seconds. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that is, that's three really, really strong efforts, you know, to go through them. You get your, your food, your fueling, your routine dialed further. And now, you know, we're going through the COVID cycle, okay, which is amazing to me, you know, that some people, you know, obviously you just did something amazing. You know, you had your breakthrough moment during the COVID cycle. Um, we saw the women and the men running in London, you know, on that, on that really uh, cool course, you know, running. Some of them had exceptional days, some didn't. We've seen some of the elite track team, uh, men and women run these events. We just saw, um, what's his name, run the 2610 or 2611 10K. This is bonkers, right? I mean, crazy, just crazy, crazy things. But we're seeing as many people fail. And I just think the times are giving that inconsistency where even elite runners are struggling a little bit more. Some are really, really, you know, seizing the moment and doing well. So for you, I just have extra love for you as a friend um, to know that how much more challenging it is in this year of gloom and doom and a lot of depressing moments, a lot of dark moments of, you know, everything is no, everything is sorry, it's canceled, it's taken away. Um, our work lives, our family lives, not being in the social, you know, connection thing that we have so much fun with, you know, our, our London shakeout run where we get, I don't know, 60, 70 people show up and we just go and have laughs and take silly pictures. Um, so you get to run a real race, you know, tell everybody about what that was like. I mean, I, I knew it was happening, but honestly, I wasn't even sure when it was happening. Like, I wasn't even sure it was the same week as London. I was like, wait a minute. I texted you tonight. I'm like, oh, wow, it is. He is running tomorrow. So, so tell everybody who does not know about this race, you know, what went down. I know I'm probably doing the, uh, the thing that you shouldn't do for a podcast, but can I just take a couple steps back? Because I was just having a couple of thoughts about uh, the races before, and I want to give a bit more context as well before I jump into uh, London, if that's okay. Of course it's okay. It's it's absolutely the way we roll. Go back and we just bring it back to to where we're, where we're going, of course. Because I just want to give the, the listeners and the people watching just a bit of context into like just the journey and how it changes and how it's just so... <laughs> unpredictable so for the build-up for berlin that is probably one of my worst build-ups for a race i w had some health issues and my training completely fell off like a cliff so i was still doing my easy runs but i was not hitting my my workouts in my sessions just things i should be able to do i wasn't hitting them but um i remember i got to berlin and i was my coach didn't say this at the time, but he told me afterwards, he was saying, like, I think you should probably finish probably around about 3.15 based on workouts and up doing a 3.01. And I remember sitting like days before just thinking, yes, my training hasn't gone as well, but it's not about the training block. It's about the training blocks before, but the months, the years gone into that. I was thinking back to the workouts I did in Manchester and, you know, that was, um, you know, that was really good and that gave me a lot of confidence. Um, but mentally, I've got a say as well that i had a bit of a residual sort of hangover from manchester because i was feeling like i got to i remember mile 20 21 i'm thinking at some point i'm going to be sick and it never happened during my my long runs uh before that 
and it only came up during the race and it was a really irrational this feeling and I couldn't really shake it so I was kind of holding back and I remember finishing that race feeling like I had more in me and that's those you kind of want to you don't want to sort of be hanging on but you kind of want to get to that point of like you know you could have given a little bit more but um yeah that was a really interesting race and I think I played that really conservatively then I went to New York and I was just really like really aggressive with the with <laughs> with the running in hindsight look back at now I should have ran a sub three in New York but the reason why I didn't run a sub three in New York uh, was a couple of reasons one is because I, I went out way too aggressive in in the start um I I kicked way too early like I think New York you probably shouldn't really start kicking until you're probably in Central Park uh, I think I was about mile 20 I was like no I feel fine but those baby hills, <laughs> they get you. Um, Fifth Avenue kills you. It's the it's the climb up Fifth Avenue to get into Central Park, which is the final kick yeah. because that's after you've tackled all the bridges. You know, when the last bridge goes by, you know, we usually like give the finger. There's signs all over that area of the course, like you know, you know, F U last bridge. I mean, you know, it's just one of those dark areas where you where you cross that bridge. But Fifth Avenue is always just a brutal section until you climb and make that right into the park. And yeah, that you're you're. You're nailing it. So good good on you for noticing that because that is a great if you can hold back to that point where you enter the park and then let it fire, you're gonna you're gonna have better results for sure. Yeah, and I've run New York three times, so you could tell that obviously I'm still learning, but I think the fourth time I do it, I, I know I know now. But um that's just life really. Sometimes like you go for, I just want to give that sort of context of being not really knowing to being really fearful to then being way too aggressive of your of your strategy and then afterwards it was just like that sort of hangover just like man i've just missed my goal by that much time and if i maybe would have been a bit more conservative especially in the first half and just been more consistent with my pace i could have just even sneaked under and that was really hard to sort of take really and then you take that into this year um and then covid hit and then we had that all the sort of thing with london and thinking this is not going to happen and then you're sort of kicking yourself just like man i've just I don't want to get my chance to race again in an actual race. And that was really hard. And I think, you know, like many people, you I had that sort of bit where you kind of, you felt a bit lost of like, what do I, what am I training for? Um, but I remember I had a little bit of a wobble and then I came back and I was just like, you know, there's more to, 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 to sort of time medals. I'm training just to be my best self. And I was thinking it's almost like, Training became like, do you know, like a, like a plane, like a, like a holding pattern. Basically, it's like waiting to land. And that's the way I've just sort of looked at it for this year. Like at, at some point, if I just maintain a certain level, then I can just jump straight into um, my uh, my training uh, required. So I'm, I'll get into training specifics. I know you're going to ask me that a bit later, so I won't go into it. But to move into your question about uh, what the race was like for, for this year, it was really just unorthodox. So... We had about 600 people, I think about 500 people, 150 maybe, uh, finished. And it was a, a lake at Dordie Lake. Um, so it was the Olympic um, venue for the rowing in, in the UK. So it's basically a massive stretch. And the advantage is, one, it's like it's just a long stretch so you could run. But they've got turnaround points and it's open and exposed. So you've got the wind. And the weather wasn't wasn't great. It was like raining and windy and that kind of stuff. And we'll get into that as well. But yeah, the the race itself was so interesting because we had to start in waves. So you were in pens, depending on your 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 starting time, your predicted time. And it would be groups of six, and they'd go in every say thirty seconds. 
Um, so it was a, <laughs> it was one hand, like you obviously had your chip bib as well. So you had that on your bib. But then I was doing the virtual London Mountain as well. So I had to start the app. And I was messing around, starting the app, put my phone away. And that was like a minute before I even crossed the line. So my virtual time is like a minute slower than my actual chip time because obviously you're messing around with your phone, starting in the app and all that kind of stuff. And then when you're running, it's so weird. It kept me going, mile one, you've done you've done mile one, keep going. And it's like all these weird cheers and your phone's like blurring out. It's so strange. There's no crowds. It's just you running solo, more or less. You might see an occasional runner, but you, it's so different because like, you couldn't set them into groups because obviously everyone's going at different times and paces. Uh, there's no crowds. So you just imagine just going around a lake, a lake, basically like a mile and a bit stretch up and loop around and loop back, loop back down, a mile and a half maybe, because um, it's like full laps. So yeah, it was just, <laughs> it was kind of interesting. But but prior to that, I did a lot of my training in a place called Victoria Park in London. And that's got like loops. I was doing like just under two mile loops. So I was just getting my head used to just running looped courses for like 20 plus miles week in week out and once you can get through that monotony you can sort of transfer into that that race environment yes it's boring but i was just like do you know what this is the race like i don't know when there's going to be many races that are happening but that's that's tremendous prep work though um you know that i think a lot of people out there when you're running berlin you know that doesn't mean you can't run hills in your build-up to be strong to work on your fitness and to develop strength but at some point and I've had this debate with people, some spirited debates people. At some point, if you're going to run 26 miles on a flat course like Berlin and Chicago, that's a very different type of running. And you got to be really careful that you're not doing long runs on some flat courses that are going to mimic that, just what, just as you did, because you could lock up different parts. Your hips can lock up, you know, your glutes, your quads, like different areas of your muscles because it's so repetitive. And as runners where we go up and down on a Boston type course or a New York course, it just, we're engaging a lot more different body parts and it just tends to be easier to run that style of course. A pancake flat course for me, they're harder. They're just more difficult. I mean, they're easier to lock our pace in, excuse me, but in terms of like muscle fibers and using different parts of the body, I, uh, I just enjoy more of the courses that throw that at it out at you. So good on you that you got uh, got the work in at Victoria Park to kind of simulate that. That's a that's a really important lesson for everybody at home. Um, you know, like it, you know, you can study a course profile till the cows come home, but you've got to try to find something where you live that you can do some prep work that's going to prepare you. Because we all know in Boston, you're going to run a lot of downhills early, but you're going to be going up a lot until mile 22. And then from that point on, it's flat to downhill from there to the finish. If you've got anything left, you can, cr- you can crush the end of Boston if you're strong and you've run a solid race. If you haven't, <laughs> it's going to be a painful, painful last couple of miles. So, so lake course around a lake, spread out and you got the you got the london app talking to you you know you got all kinds of things going on there you know and the weather as well was wasn't great and it was like raining and windy and i'm human i remember the start of the race i was just like man this this sucks like (laughs) i would have run in this and then you're just like and you know you you, i put something in my instagram stories and then i immediately thought man this is like the wrong thing to do because i'm basically letting it get in my head like before the race, I need to just be focused and just be like, look, this is what it is. Just get on with it. And I was just like, look, 
you ran Boston 2018, so <laughs> you can get over this. <laughs> this is this is that bad. So true. Well, it's great that you have that um, from the experience that we both were in that race, and we'll be able to tap into that. Um, but for others that haven't been, I think it's an important um, area to to focus in a little bit more because the marathon, as we all know, is 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 basically all about life, right? I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get hit with unexpected things are going to come up. There is no race on planet Earth, no matter what our buildup is like. And I'm glad that you went back and and covered that Berlin was not a good buildup at all. And your coach, who is you know a top notch coach, you guys have a great thing going. Um, and you're, you're building and building and building, uh, consistently and making gains, you know, he's throwing it out there to you that you're probably in 315 shape for the day. You know, he's not saying it to, to Raz you. He's saying it cause you know, he knows what you've done in the past and he knows what sort of trends that you guys have put out there, you know, doing these different workouts. Um, so there's, there's, there's just a bunch of lessons in there. Um, sometimes our buildups don't go well. Sometimes we don't nail our key and critical workouts along our buildup. And yet we can actually have a great race on race day. And the converse of that is we can crush cycles where we hit every single thing. It looks perfect. And then you can go out to dinner and have chicken risotto and get sick and have major stomach problems and have it, you know, basically you know, cause real harm to us in a race. So the net net is the race, the experience on race day, whatever you think you're prepared for, whatever you think you've done in terms of the physical work and the mileage and the types of workouts and the paces run and the fueling practice, there's always going to be some curveballs that are going to be thrown at you. Um, so you got your curveball. It's raining. You know, it's windy. You're, you're not feeling really positive about it. You know, you got those self-doubts going through your head. It's great that you brought it up because the reality is we all have that stuff going through our head. If you talk to any Olympian out there that that's run and, you know, run and done great things or the people who've run in the trials or um, people who've run, you know, elite times and, and marathons, we all have those thoughts cross through our head. So at some point you recognized it. And what did you do to kind of turn that feeling around, that mental mental thing that was going through your head? What did you try to do to help turn that situation around for you? I think the most important thing is like, if you're feeling something, don't deny that it's happening because it just comes back and just stays there. It just it doesn't it just suffocates you. So you just have, almost have to let let it wash over you and just be like, yes, it is raining, it is windy, it's not great, but I've done this work to I can do hard things. You just have to sort of remind yourself of all the things that you've done. And after that, I was generally fine and I was just ready to go and, you know, settled into the, the run and just sort of just took it in my stride, really. Um, I mean, the first few miles were, were felt good. I tried to do the first mile where I tried to run slower than my target pace because I think when you're on tapered legs, I think the biggest thing is that you can run too quickly. And so you want to slow it down and ease into your, uh, your marathon pace. The issue that we had with the weather was as well was we had like crosswinds. So initially it wasn't too bad for the first two miles. And then towards the end, the <laughs> the crosswinds turned and there's like large stretches of just headwinds. So you're just like, man, this is like, <laughs> you just got to ride out. And you know, it's like you're basically giving more effort to maintain the same pace and all these things are going in your mind. And uh, it's just a crazy sort of thing. And like, like you say, like it's just like life. Like nothing goes perfectly. Even though I ran my personal best, like there were so many things that could have derailed me, and I was thinking that I, I 
you know, I had to kind of just work my way through. Like, for example, I got to mile 14, 15, round about a, a good pace. The wind started changing. It was requiring more effort, so I was slowing down. I wasn't really holding my pace up to mile. Then I got to mile 20, um, and I started to feel sick again. Like, um, in terms of, like, my stomach, I felt like I was going to throw up. Like, I had waves of feeling like I was going to be sick. And that took me back to the time in, um, well, one in New York and one in uh, Manchester. So the lesson I learned from Manchester was like, okay, just maintain what you can. Just give your best effort for what you can. Uh, the lesson I learned from New York when I was starting to feel a bit sick as well was I stopped fueling. And then that's almost like suicidal because once you <laughs> stop fueling over the marathon, you're pretty much done. So I still had to manage the thing of just like, don't be sick run it at the effort that you can still maintain but still take your fuels and i know it sounds like really rational but you you have to make these rational thoughts in the time and you're just problem solving and literally from like mile 20 i was just like hanging on and then coupled into the fact that you're running to headwinds you're just like oh god what else are you going to throw at me right now <laughs> <laughs> or any squirrels going to run across your path and trip you or you know you you're just wondering what's like what's coming next now you got a lot of things there that you're managing and managing well. Um, and you did, you obviously handle, you handle it well. And I think you process these different experiences from Manchester and New York with pacing, with fueling, with your stomach. And, you know, look, we're, we're forced to make these decisions on the fly. There's no time out. We don't get to like hit our pause button on our watch and go, all right, just give me a second here. Let me think this thing through. We're not like NASCAR or Formula One where Lewis Hamilton's on the headset with the crew and they're like, hey man, you know, come in, <laughs> come in and pit. We don't have any of that, man. You're out there on your own other than the voice of your London Marathon app, which cracks me up. I can't believe you had that on. But at the same time, I get it because you wanted to get the virtual, you know, so you can kill like the two birds at one stone. But oh, there's no option to turn it off literally. I didn't even know you basically start the app and it goes and it is playing through my speaker, so it's so weird. Like, you'd run past someone at my, and it'd be like mile one and it'd be like, You've got to go through mile one. It's like it's insane amount of clapping and cheering, and it's so odd when you're both running together, there's no crowds, and the sound's coming from yeah they don't know where it's coming from yeah and you're having to explain it and it's just so weird oh <laughs> that's that, that's just, it's a what a, what an experience man an incredible experience and um you know so were there mile markers were there were there clocks of any kind or were you just going off of your own watch and your own whatever your average garmin pace was to like give yourself some sense of like how the day was going so there's a couple of things they had mile markers uh from like zero to obviously the end of the race and i had my watch but you try not to <laughs> look at the mile markers because obviously you go around in a loop so you literally gonna go mile past like mile 20 so you don't kind of don't want to think about it um then you've got your watch but i i tried not to look at my watch too much because it can get in your head especially at the mile markers and also from the runs that I, I did previously you get to sort of trust your yourself and the pace that you're running at um so i think especially in a race you're just going by effort because you know it's going to really suck it quite a few times and you're just gonna if you look at your watch it's just gonna not gonna do anything uh you know positive for you so you kind of need to kind of just forget it and just keep going and at some points i just didn't look at my watch and just went by effort especially towards the end um but in the beginning i i kind of generally knew the paces that i was running at because and i know we haven't really spoken about this but in terms of like the training build-up i was working my way down to uh, 6.30 pace, uh, 6.30 minute per mile. Um, and I knew I could sort of comfortably hold that, but 
the difference between running and training was that it was like a sunny day. There was no wind. And it's completely different in a, in a windy day. So, but I still knew what it felt like in my legs and my body. My body had that sort of that memory of what that pace felt like. Um, but like to go back to my training, I know I'm sort of deviating, but just to give people a bit of context, like this training block was really unorthodox. And I really want to uh, just uh, bring up that it is really the sum of all the training from last year that people forget you know, and then the stuff before that really helped make this result possible. Because I did longer, I did traditional training, like uh, build-ups to, to, to work towards a marathon. But this one I had like four weeks. Um, London obviously got uh, postponed, well, were postponed for the uh, non-elites. And then we found that out. Then I found I had a race like shortly afterwards. So there wasn't a lot of time. So I literally jumped in from that holding pattern into uh, some sessions, but then just sort of in the 22-mile runs, just like just week in, week out, week in, week out. And I think that really helps, but it wasn't like the traditional way. And I've, I know a couple of people have asked me like, what workout did you do? Or was it, uh, was it the magic alpha flies that you wore? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> no, it's not, it, it, it's not the workouts. Like if I told you that workout, it wouldn't really make sense in a traditional uh, training block. And it also wasn't the alpha flies. I've had a couple of people say this. And for me, I feel like I almost made a mistake. I don't want to say a mistake, but um, I think alpha flies work really well if you've got, say, like a smooth course which hasn't got like sharp turns or like rise and falls. Like Dorney Lake was good, but there's quite a few rise and falls, and it's not a great shoe when you're going up and down. And it's also not a great shoe when you're having to make. We had to make quite a few sharp turns, like to literally just stop and start again. So there was quite a few of those those moments. Um, I think maybe like the Vaporfly next percent probably would have been. I think they're probably like the best like all round shoe, I think, for racing marathons. Um, but I still got the time and I don't want to blame the shoes, but I, I, I remember <laughs> one guy I passed was like, ah, oh, it's one of those Alpha Fly runners. And I was a bit like, dude, I'm like, this is like what 2020's come to. Like people are hecking you yeah. while you're passing. Yes. While you're, while you're passing them. I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> yeah. On the, on, on the course. Yeah. Somebody did a cut up. Um, of, uh, I don't know, I can't say his last name properly. Um, uh, Joseph that ran the 2610 or 2611 10K, but they had a cut up of his foot pronating. It was, it was almost like his foot was, I've never seen an angle of a landing like strike in my life. I mean, this guy is like, I can't even think about what he's going to be able to do in the marathon if it transfers. And you, you would certainly think that it could or it would, but I know, I know where you're coming from. I mean, it's just become, it's just another one of those idiotic things that people can say or will say or bring up. It literally has nothing to do at the end of the day. Kipchoge ran those crazy times with his sock liners falling out in Berlin and practically set the course record that year. He ran 24 or 25 miles with his sock liners up to his calf. You know, they weren't in his shoe. He had no cushion inside his shoe for 20, 24, 25 miles. I do think of course the shoes help us. Of course they do. They, I think what they help us the most with though, is like reducing like muscle soreness. We recover quicker. Sure. They, they, uh, reduce the amount of energy maybe required and help propel us forward. But you, you raise some really very, uh, you know, cogent points. I couldn't agree with you more. The next percent is far better for changing direction for, rapid changes, uh, not just curves and, and twisting and, you know, like a serpentine kind of changing, you know, in that from directionally, but also up and down. They're, they're just a little bit lighter. They're not as clunky, 
but no question, I'm not even thinking twice. If it's a longer or regular marathon, I'm going alpha flies any day, all day because of, you know, how my legs will feel, you know, how much it'll protect me and keep my legs feeling good and fresh later into the race. Um, because that's, that's important, man. But I think that there's a lot of great shoes. I mean, I'm running in some Adidas shoes that they sent me that I just absolutely love. I love these shoes. And you've seen some really, um, there's some pretty awesome records run by some runners, you know, running in those shoes too. So no, 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 no. You know, you didn't run your two, 256 because of alpha flies, my friend. Yeah, true. But I also think though, it's the shoes and something my coach said, it made me think this is true as well. It's the shoes in combination with nutrition. I think like Morton has been a real game changer because for me previously, like I'd take gels and I couldn't really find a combination that I couldn't like <laughs> could hold down, and not be sick with. Um, although I had some minor sicknesses like I talked about in the race, like even in the last race, I still took all my five gels uh, throughout the race and I was generally fine. I wasn't sick. Um, I think the combination of being able to take the gels though and uh, have like, you know, in combination with the shoes, I think definitely allows you to run faster because obviously you're, you know, you're saying your legs are taking probably a little bit less battering towards the end, but obviously you're still getting fueled. You can't just put on a pair of magic shoes and then just like run a time you've never run or just like <laughs> to find this energy source from nowhere. It's just crazy talk. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. And yeah, well, I'm a big believer in Morton too. I've been using their stuff um, for, for right from the beginning and I think everybody out there, you got to the experiment. It needs to happen through, during a whole training cycle. And just because you and I can work with Morton, that's great. Well, somebody else is not going to be able to work with it. They're not going to like it. They're, it won't agree with their stomach. Although I would say that theirs is as easy and gentle on the stomach as anything I've ever come across personally. And I have celiac, so I've got a lot of limitations on what I can put in my body versus can't. Um, but it really, and again, I think the other big thing is too, you don't require water with it. You can have water with it if you want, but you don't have to have water with it. And that is a big deal if you're out doing a long structured run and you're not going to have anyone out there or doing anything crazy like I did with the 10 marathons in 10 weeks and not wanting to lug, you know, water jugs or stash bottles around or anything like that. I mean, you can just carry the gels and do it that way. Now, do you... The the morning of, like before you're out there on the course, do you use Morton 160 or 320 in drink form just to get a little bit in that morning? You know, because I'm just curious about that. Yeah, so I, <laughs> funny enough, I basically replicate my breakfasts, uh, like <laughs> the same one before the race and the long run. So I pretty much have like a bagel, uh, a 320, um, a couple hours before I'm going to run to let it sort of settle and digest. Uh, probably the only change for the marathon is I take an extra bottle of like 320 and I have about half a bottle before uh, the actual race. Uh, well, about about 15 minutes before the race starts. So I put that into like a separate bottle and I take it with me and obviously discard it on I mean, in, the, in the bins and things like that. But yeah, that's probably the only thing. And I just, I think it's just, you, you know, you're going to run out of any, well, you know, you're going to burn th through more than you can take on, but you're still just trying to manage that sort of, that balance of just not hitting the wall because it's <laughs> once you get there it's a it's a, it's a painful place and uh you know you've done a lot of work to to get to the race so you need to be smart about so many things in terms of your nutrition and just the mindset in terms of like how you break down the race mentally and how you deal with the challenges that, that come about yeah no question i've had good luck um 
pretty much following the same process. I in New York City, we get local elite competitive runner status. We get our own um, like tent area that's right close to the bridge, and we run we run in the lower bridge, but we're in the first wave, the first group. And it's just wonderful experience for us because we have our, you know, many, you know, many Porta Johns, the tent, we've got coffee, we have all the things we need, but we have a real short distance to go to get to our staging area where we race from. And I do the same. I take a 320 bottle in there with me and I slowly, very slowly, because I want to allow it to just get into my system slowly. And again, that's me and you have your system. I have mine and everybody else listening, they're going to have theirs, but it's important that everybody's listening at home. You have to figure out by trying and testing it before these long runs, before you get into the race. Because for me, like that system has worked really well for me. Having that bottle in the village to just slowly get that 320 into my system. And to your point, I take that bottle with me. That's a full bottle. I'll carry that on the course and I'll drink that for the first couple of miles. And then in New York, because it's like my home area, like you have in London, I'm able to have some people out on the course that will hit me with a 320 bottle along the way. And, you know, I know all the, the right places where there, there's always going to be a lot of people, but earlier in the races, you know, in some of the other boroughs, it's always packed, but there are spots where if you knew somebody was going to be there, you'd be okay. So that's it. You just have to know exactly where they're going to be. And then this, I just love, if I can go 320 and drink 320 all day, I would take that always because I just prefer it. And if it's in one of those small Kipchoge style bottles that he had from, from Berlin, those are great. Those little bottles, I get them from the feed. Um, it's great because they're not as big, they're not as bulky and you know, they're nothing to carry. They're, they're really nothing at all. And you, I just like to slowly sip it versus, you know, you see them, they just like chug their, you know, they, what do they take it? Like every 5k more or less, but they, they chug their bottles down and they just chuck it. Um, I'm like a more old school. Like I just like to hold on to it a little bit and just sip it and, you know, make my way through it, but cool. So five gels and you had your, you had some 320 and a bagel in the morning. How, how early do you eat before the race? At least two, three hours before. Um, so it's, it's such a funny thing. You're up so early and you're just ready. So, yeah, but I mean, I felt, um, really kind of relaxed going into this race. And I think that's probably something that sort of, uh, come on through just, uh, the previous experiences and, you know, not that the fears don't exist, but, um, you know, you get through them and you get through a, like a really tough experience. You're like, Oh, well the world didn't end. So I can, I can carry on. Um, yeah. So it's been such a, a crazy journey. I'm sort of thinking about so many different things as you asked me something different. It always sort of triggers something else. Cause you're going back to the race and having to think about what it means to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I thought it would be super fun to just go through like the technical end of what you ate preparation, especially because you've had the bad experience before, but you know, like, I mean, to me, the reason I had this show, the reason I started the show is to be able to talk to people like you that are chasing something that really matters and doing an incredible amount of hard work. Um, it's nothing's linear in this business of running. It's all cumulative, man. It takes time for our bodies to build and adapt and get used to the workouts and the strength and be able to you know, build our mileage slowly and safely and stay healthy and avoid getting stress fractures or getting burned out even. And these, these changes that happen in our body and our capillary development and our aerobic development, and we get stronger, you know, when you were doing those longer runs with, with John and who's coaching you, you know, you might've been dropping down to six fifties at some point. Now you're talking about in this last cycle, you know, you were hitting six thirties at certain cycles. So 
I love, you know, because I love to study the analytics of training and, you know, how workouts are done. You know, there's a couple of different ways you're going to go. You're either going to run a lot of marathon pace miles on some of those long run workouts, and some you could go down as, as fast as half marathon pace. But what I love about it is he's giving you a lot of different paces and it's validating to you that in these really long runs that you can hit these paces. So eventually like your brain is just telling you, man, I've done this before. I've, I've done this consistently before and not just once I've done it through three, four, five cycles and I'm getting stronger. And what I love that you talked about is you, you knew the difference between what 630 pace felt like. And so if you know what 630 feels like, and you certainly knows what 650 feels like, because for everybody at home that's listening, 650 is where you need to be to run a sub three. Um, so knowing these paces, you know, that's, that leads you you know, mentally, like in your head, you've done this before, you've rehearsed it before, you practice it for like your nutrition, but the workouts, man, you've done so many of these miles. So in, in your head, you know, you've been preparing for this and doing like crazy amounts of work to get, get to that point. That's the thing though, when you look back at it, it's just like you spend like years training for like a couple moments of like glory and you could think it's going to be taken away from you. Then you do it. It's just like amazing. It all kind of comes back. And, you know, this year has been tough for so many people and me included. And, you know, I'm not jumping out of bed, clicking my heels. I'm like, yes, I can't wait to run. Some of the toughest runs are like the easy, slow runs where you're just like, oh, man, I just don't want to do this. I don't really want to do this. But you're like, look, I'm outside. I'm grateful. I can do this. You have to sort of bring yourself back into the moment. Yes, it's tough, but it's helping you. You move towards where you need to be so you know a lot of the training is pretty monotonous at, at points uh especially when you're training by yourself and but like well like you said it's like when i was doing those runs i think what clicks for me in this probably training cycle was i really truly believed that i was going to break sub three i kind of half believed it last last year but this year i really dislike you're not 100 certain of anything but i was like 90 percent because like you said like i did the long runs in in you know my in my training build so the way i looked it was like there was nothing to be scared of i was thinking like if i can do 18 miles at 6 30 pace after a full week no days off then i've just got to run an extra couple of miles i can i can i can survive that i can suffer through that i can pull it out yes yeah. that's great that's great perspective um tell me about um you know like the difference, obviously, we run the majors. We're huge fans of Abbott, um, and I think probably most of the listeners to your show and our show are. You know that whole experience of traveling and you know going after a six star and all of those wonderful things. But um, what a different experience Dorney must have been. You know, being obviously a COVID race to begin with, a legal race, legitimate race, but such a smaller race. Do you think that helped in any way? Did it hurt that you didn't have? all those other runners that we love and feed off that energy. Cause I mean, you had to make your own race in a sense, right? Like in a, in a big race, when we're in Chicago or New York, there's always some pack to chase down, right? There's always another group. And I don't mean a pace group, but just people, you know, as uh, along the way in our course. So talk about the differences with, with running in Dorney in a smaller race in COVID times versus uh, running in a major. Oh my gosh, there's so much to that. So like even running in a smaller race um, pre COVID, it wouldn't be as competitive. I mean, I finished 131st and I still ran 256. So that sort of shows you how competitive wow. that race was. Wow. There were a lot of people that ran like London Championship places. And um, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy time. But I think 
it just shows the times that we're in, like be adaptable, and that's what's available. So, although looking at it logistically, I wouldn't be like, that's the race that I want to do. That's the only race that's available. So, I had to do it. And yeah, I miss, like you, I miss, you know, the majors. I miss, like, for example, last year we caught up in Berlin, London, New York, and you miss, like, meeting your friends for the shakeout runs. You, you miss going to the expo, that, that banter, that, you know, those jokes between, and then catching up afterwards the debrief and just the, the experience of the crowds the crowds really make it um you know the american races are incredible same as london as well and you do miss that and in this race it was just like <laughs> just silence really like <laughs> but obviously the sound obviously of my phone every mile going Shh, you've gone through mile one you've got this I'm like okay thanks <laughs> but uh, the runners had had a really sort of great sports spirit between us and we were sort of cheering each other on and like going keep going Marcus or saying whatever and I think that was really nice so I think the runners basically make, we turned into our own sort of supporters because we all knew that we were all going through the same thing and for me I was thinking like we're all suffering for the same sort of thing so it's not just me and if you stop running for example or you you, weren't, you feel like stopping it's a natural thing but I was like the suffering will still continue <laughs> so the long, if, like, if I just keep moving it will be over sooner than if I stop now I I love that perspective. Um, one of my one of my running friends from New Jersey made me a sign: the faster you run, the sooner you'll be done. Run, go, run, runs NYC. And I remember, I it's just one of my favorite signs ever. You know, like a the odds of seeing somebody on First Avenue, as you know, you know, coming coming down off the bridge. You know, the odds are like a billion to one. Like, I mean, there's just no way on earth you're going to see somebody there in that sea of people and that madness. It's like a scene out of Gladiator, you know. And there it is. I'm running up the street and I see her and I see her sign and I'm like, I turn around and ran backwards for like I don't know a hundred feet. Don't ask me how I didn't trip or crash into anyone else or just like you know my whole race flow, but. It was one of the coolest moments ever. And it's so funny that the simplest thing like that, it's true, man. Like, just keep moving, get it over with, get the job done. You know, like slowing down, not good. You know, like coming up to the side of the road, not good. Unless we're going to get sick, unfortunately, or go to the bathroom, which does happen, man. These these things happen. And that's why I'm glad that we got into, in detail, your past experience. Certainly anybody who's ever run a marathon has had an experience where something they ate, didn't agree with them, or they ate two power bars in the staging area and wonder why they had to go number two at mile 14. Like if you haven't had that in your system before, you don't know what it's going to do to you. So you just, it's not the time to be like playing around going, okay, fast and loose, no problem. My friends are going to the Dunkin' Donut booth and they're eating donuts the morning of the race. I'll just follow along with them and do what they're doing. Nope, not a good idea. Yeah, I mean, you just basically keep that week before, for me personally, I've got to keep it as like nutritious as possible, but as plain as possible. I can't, I mean, like cut out anything that's moderately exciting. <laughs> so, because um, you, you know what's you, the work you put into it, and it's just like what's happened in Manchester, you just don't want to have that feeling again. I mean, that's worse. So you think I can just, I can deal with this plain food for this this week until afterwards i can sort of then try and enjoy afterwards sure it's a small sacrifice so at what point i'm sure there had to be some point out there marcus where you realize like you know okay i got this thing or i think i got this thing at what point <laughs> did it hit you or maybe it didn't maybe it was like super late but at what point did it did it come to you like okay this is there for the taking 
oh my gosh that's that's the voice that you can't listen to (laughs) (laughs) the devil on your shoulder it's like i remember i was in new york last year i was like oh i need to get to like mile 20 at like 215 and i was like i hit it i was like okay i can i can get through this and i didn't make it um and this race i think i've got to like mile 20 probably like 211 212 maybe so i was like it's on it's it's still possible but i'm not feeling great um, and then the wind picks up and you start to feel nauseous and you're just like, oh man, this is so close, but so far, I don't want to celebrate, but then I don't want to give up. And it's just like all these sort of things. And I just remember having like, I've got different like mantras at different parts of the race. So I put stuff in my gel so I can remember, um, this gives me like a little boost as well. And I remember towards the end, just thinking like repeating either like, this is my time or 20 seconds from New York, I kept saying to myself, 20 seconds, you can <laughs> effing do this, 20 <laughs> seconds, there's a lot of swearing, uh, but like, sometimes it sounds ridiculous, but you have to bully yourself, so I never really got into the state of being like, um, uh, you know, beforehand thinking, oh, I've done this, I think that the only time I sort of allowed myself to think of that one was when I was literally about to cross the finishing line, I was just like, oh, I could literally stroll across here. But you're thinking, no, just try to sprint through it. Just get it done. Get your personal best time and then you can enjoy it. But I think I didn't really want to allow myself uh, to sort of get that cocky or that confident until I crossed the finish line because I really wanted to try and give my very utmost effort until the end because I've had that before and you start relaxing and then you start thinking about the drinks afterwards, the meal afterwards, and then it's like, oh, it's over. You've got to stay at that moment and just be like, look, just just keep going. This is my time. 20 seconds, 20 seconds. The wind's blowing. Just keep going. I love it. So you used your mantras, um, which are always whatever you like. It doesn't matter if you like it, if I like it, the next person likes it. It only matters if it resonates with you. And again, that's just another thing. It's another thing to practice. It's another thing to practice out there on those long runs. It's another thing to practice on key workouts during a cycle of just that that thought process that you want to engage of being positive or feeling strong or self affirmation because hey look nobody's nobody's going to come and like you know like you said give you a pat on the back nobody's going to give you a booster shot that's going to drop your pace per mile by thirty seconds when you need it um, you got to do the work it's up to you. Um, and then particularly in a race like you're doing where there's 600 people, I mean, just we're, we're just not used to that. That's not what we do. I mean, now, given everything that's happened in this COVID year, I'd kill the run of the race with 600 people that counts, you know, like that's officially measured and it's real. And what we talked about before we came on is what I'm so excited for you is that, um, and this is not to take one ounce away from anybody who's done a great virtual race, whether it's virtual London, you know, virtual New York coming to be, virtual Boston, um, virtual Chicago's getting ready to come on, not taking one ounce away from anyone who's gone out there and designed their own course and run it and maybe run their PR. But you and I both know in the back of our minds, we all know GPS is not infallible. It's it's not only not infallible, it's virtually never 100% accurate. It will never be. You can go on the track and run with clear line of sight on a perfect day 
And very rarely will you ever, if you're doing mile repeats, have each one of them show up to be a mile. They'll be short, they'll be long. And depending on what lane you're in and how many people you're, you know, you know, you have to, you know, crisscross around because people are always in the damn fast lane that are like walking. And I'm sure that happens in the UK just as much as it happens here back home. But in your case, this is the real deal. I mean, you got to run an official race, a certified race, and you got to chalk that thing off in the real in a real race. So, so for me, I'm like doubly excited for you because I wouldn't want in the back of your mind thinking, well, I ran a 256, but even though I've run at Victoria Park a lot and done the workouts, I don't really know for sure that it's 26.2 miles because that's the kind of shit that would keep us up at night. Maybe not other people, but I know you or me, we'd be like, mm, I don't really know. I'm going to get to go out and measure that thing, you know? Yeah, it's so tough because like, I remember driving out of the course and I remember seeing a guy running by himself and he had the, like the, the London virtual thing. And you just like, I've got so much respect for those people because like, you know, you're out there doing it yourself and there's no, those, no crowds. And I, I, I like the fact that we could still like bring um, London to the people and people were getting involved in that way. Um, and it's, you know, so it's not ideal, but you just got, I've got so much respect for those people that have done the virtuals as well. But like you say, for me, having that actual result is so crucial because like it's on power of 10 or if I try and go for like a um, good for rage qualifier for London, which is sub three, I can literally go back and go, this is the official race results. Give you my place. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas before, if you've got a virtual, it's, they're not going to take it. So, and then that, that's, 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 that, that's what it comes down to really. If you really want to use those times to get into races in the future, but like we're saying, we just don't know what's going to happen in the future, and I think we just have to take races for when we could, where we can get them. Not ideal, but you know we take them. Um, and I think I was—you've not asked me this, but I mean, someone asked me would I have done a virtual race uh, before, and I, you know, I'm not quite sure because I, th I feel like the marathon takes so much out of you. I could have done a virtual uh, as like a as a jog jog through, but I'm not quite sure I would have given as much effort for this race because like the math takes so much out of you. And I think you can only really sort of go into that well a couple of times during the year, once, twice, do you know what I mean? So I think uh, the marathon has to be a distance that you respect as well. Yeah, no, no question. Um, a hundred percent. If you're, if you're looking to optimize performance and, you know, really get the best out of yourself, um, you know, where I come down is I, I think having a coach is really important and, you know, but more importantly, um, connecting with a coach, you know, building like a long-term relationship with that coach where they really understand what your goals are and what you're after. And you have that communication and you understand the workouts that are necessary to kind of get you where you're going. And I think one thing that's just so invaluable about um, some of the top coaches that are out there is I think they sometimes see things in us that we don't even see ourselves about how far, you know, you may be able to go, how far I might be able to go, or are you already at your limit? And, you know, like you're, you're kind of pushing up against it. So, you know, to lean on them for their experiences and, you know, build that, that path to growth. Um, as we've talked about many times when you and I've been on a mic, sharing a mic together, it's not linear, man. It's cumulative. It takes time and you just got to be patient and you can't keep putting the building blocks of the work in over time, cycle after cycle 
And good results, you know, will follow if you keep doing the work. Eventually, we're going to get one of those good weather days, my friend. We're going to get we're going to get a tailwind at Boston one year. You know, we're going to get a day where it's going to be 45 degrees or 50 and you know, like zero humidity and it's going to be our day. Um and anybody listening to the show, it's going to be your day. Um and that's what we do the work for, you know, because you know, one day when it all kind of comes together, you know, that 256 becomes a 248 and then it starts to drop to a 243 and um you know, wherever it might be. And for anybody listening at home, you know, because Marcus and I talked about this before we came on, hey, man, we are, we support every single runner out there. I don't care if you run six hours, five hours, seven hours. I don't care if you walk 26 miles. To me, you have all of my respect. And I know Marcus feels the same way. Um, we, you know, as, as podcast hosts, you know, we, we may be talking to more runners that are running faster times or maybe getting the occasional elite runner on and stuff, just cause it's just the nature of our shows. But man, we, we have just massive respect. Um, I know I have just enormous respect having done the 10 marathons in 10 weeks for anybody out there that's running times that aren't this fast because you're on your feet longer. It's just mentally more exhausting, physically more exhausting. And, you know, fueling all of those other things are more complicated and require more, you know, mental strength for those um, runners to complete their tasks. So for all of you that that are in that camp, don't you ever think that my show or Marcus's show or anything, but we we have nothing but love and support for you. Yeah, I think, yeah, we got a comment before about someone said that we were kind of disparaging about virtual races and that's everyone that knows us knows that's not the case to us we're not we're not bashing anyone and we've got respect for all runners that show up and, and do something because it's easier to do nothing especially in this year i mean if you've showed up and you've done something i mean imagine what strength that's going to give you for next year when races do resume hopefully or the year afterwards so everyone that's doing something and showing up and crosses the line you know we all complete the same distance and we all go through similar things although some people feel like it's different for certain paces but like i've started off at another end of the scale of you know being near five hours finishing a marathon and to come down to here i can really see it from both sides so i'm not saying that my journey is over and i'm i've arrived anywhere because i'm not because i still feel like there's more for me to go but i can respect you know a wider um, spectrum because i didn't start off being quote unquote a fast runner I remember telling people when, when I first did like 4.55, you know, they'd be like, oh, you know, that's, you can see it in their faces. They're like, that is, that is, that is terrible. And then you tell people now, they're like, wow, you must have like, you must be some sort of like, you must have run at school or something. I was like, nope, <laughs> no, I didn't. I just got a coach. I just stayed consistent. I trusted, trusted them. And I think a point as well is like, sometimes I see people and they are asking me like, what's the magic? What's the secret? What's the magic? And you're like, there is no secret it's just like find a good coach commit it's like it's like being married you stick to that person you just don't leave <laughs> and you stay for a you know I mean? just you just commit that is basically you go through the good and the bad times and you stick with it you don't just be like ah six months I've, i'm gonna try something else it doesn't work that way it's a it that's so well said it's a partnership um and even you know we both are big proponents of using coaches and the, some of the great coaches out there, you know, they just, they do so much more than just write your workout plans. They, there's so much more that they're involved with you on, you know, they're, they're, 
they're working on your mental game with you at all points. They know if work is a struggle. They know if you're having issues at home with a new baby. Um, they understand if, you know, somebody in the family's just passed away. And, you know, those are things that a coach who's worked with you for a while, they're going to take that stuff into account when they're writing your workout plan, when they're giving you goals for certain things to do. And, um, you know, so that's just, you know, I think there's just so much in there. And, and for anybody listening at home, if, if you're not inspired by, Marcus starting off at, you know, near five hours and, and chopping, you know, two full hours, you know, 455 to 256, chopping two full hours off. And I know, you know, firsthand, he's nowhere near, you know, hit his maximum end. And besides, even if he did, even if he decided, you know what, I don't feel like killing myself and running all these miles anymore. I'm just going to run for enjoyment now. And I'm going to run with my kids and, you know, I'm going to become a coach of a cross country team. Like, God bless. Like it, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is the fires burning in you that you want to see how much further you can take this. And I know it, it is, you know, we know that about each other and, you know, your coach, John, you know, you guys will continue to evolve and you'll continue to, you know, alter little things in the mix that'll get you, you know, even further, you know, further down the road. But for everybody listening at home, you know, man, be inspired. You know, this is about work. Um, you know, this is something running is something that should be viewed for everybody listening to shows like we have, you know, this is, it's a gift, you know, this isn't work. Okay. Like, and, and, and Marcus said it, man, I'm not, I'm not bouncing out of bed either, man. That's the reason why I do most of my stuff at night because I'm just like, no, no, no. Okay. All right. I'll take my dog out for a walk. Cause she does need to go for a walk, but I'm like, okay, I'll go to work and I'll do my work stuff. But I'm like, run right now. Nah, nah, I don't think so. So I'll push things out. I'll push them off my bike ride today. I did not want to go on my bike ride today, Marcus. Trust me, I did not want to go. I hammered a 50 miler in the park, you know, on Tuesday night and had a couple of easy runs since then, but I just wasn't feeling it, even though it's a beautiful fall day. And of course, the second I got out there, this is the God's truth. The second I got moving and I saw the color of the trees and, you know, it's just a, it's a Saturday ride where the people from New York City ride across the George Washington Bridge and go up 9W. It's just a, a long stretch of road that goes through the country up and down huge hills. And I couldn't believe many people were out there today. So I felt like I was in Central Park on a long run day where you're seeing everybody getting ready for Boston or New York and everybody's out there on the ride. Everybody's flipping you the wave and the, the peace sign. And I was so glad. And I only made it back a couple minutes before he came on the air. But yeah, I'm glad, man. You know, that's it. So that's the message for everybody. You know, we're look, we're all in shitty times. We're all feeling like crap. You know, it's not like the world is a great place right now, but you know what? Those, those moments in time when you got your running shoes on and you're on a trail or you're out there on the road or you're out there cycling or swimming, or I don't care what you're doing. If you're moving through space and time, life is going to be better for however long that period of time is that you're exercising. If it's an hour, a half an hour, two hours, three hours, a lot of good things are going to, are going to keep happening. So, so stay after it like Marcus has done and you could, you can be inspiring people for sure. Yeah, the body remembers. So just like, just keep keep at it, really. Yes, as you've done, as you've done. So, um, have you and John talked at all about uh, a schedule at all for like next year? Have you seen the dates for the majors at this point? I've looked at it, <laughs> dude. It's completely like the only date that's. I mean, Boston is not going to happen April nineteenth. We know that. Like, that's just you might as well just erase that date right now. But that's the date. But everything from there. The other 
the other five races are basically like a week apart, unless I got my math wrong. I'm pretty sure I don't have my math wrong. I like put it down here. I was going to say, like, literally, like, you can't, you can't be doing all six in a year to an S. It's, it's too close. <laughs> it would be, it would be madness even for me. Okay, here's, I have it right here. Are you ready, everybody who's listening at home? So we're just going to, Boston is April 19th. We're just going to pretend that date isn't going to happen. Berlin starts the show September 26th. Seven days later, London, 10-3. Seven days after that, Chicago, 10-10. Tokyo, seven days after that, 10-17. New York is the only one that stretches out. So uh, New York is 11-7. So that would be 14. That'd be 21 days. Um, And the rumor is, and I think it's pretty safe, because who knows if any of these races are even going to happen, as we both know. But Boston is going to move, in my opinion, in between that Tokyo, New York hole, or maybe they'll go ahead of Berlin in September sometime. But I mean, we could be looking at six races in like eight weeks or something like that, or in 10 weeks. And as you know, like I was able to do it last year because there was, uh, you know, the last three are in 35 days, but those last three were Berlin, Chicago, New York. Like that wasn't that bad to get to those places. It's not like you're flying to Tokyo. I mean, you put, you put Tokyo in the mix and all these other ones, it's going to, it's going to be bonkers, man. Yeah. I think Tokyo would sort of throw anyone, but um, yeah, to answer your question, I think at the moment I'm just enjoying having some time off and resting. I think when you train hard, you really do enjoy the rest days and uh, the rest weeks. So I'm just enjoying processing or spending time with my family and my kids and that kind of stuff. So that for me, that that's a really nice time. And it's a really funny thing because you get out of bed subconsciously thinking you've got to run and you're like, nope, I've got a rest day. And it keeps happening every day. Like, nope, I don't have to run today. <laughs> so I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off. Um, I think we're going to get back into working on some speed work just to try and get my sort of uh probably 10k half marathon time down uh whether there's a race or not i'll do a time trial like a virtual one um so we'll do that uh london is booked for next year same as you i think we've got our places transferred over so for me that's my um only race at the moment potentially there could be a race in well we'll see what happens with covid and maybe there might be a spring race but I'm not really holding too much, but with obviously the race that I did, they might be holding another race uh, that sort of time because they're doing another one in November. Um, so say a marathon as well. So I think the way the world is changing, there's probably going to be smaller races taken apart. Um, I'm still not quite sure whether London will happen. I don't want to be too cynical, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but the aim for me really is to, now I've got the good for age, which is sub three, is to work for, uh, the championship place. So that's sub 245. I love it. It's a big goal. Um, it's a stretch and it's 100% something you can tackle, but you know, there's, there's now more steps out there, uh, along the way, but I, I may, I'm so glad that, uh, it just popped into my head because at my age, Alzheimer's starts to make its way into, <laughs> into the mix here as I get older and older. But one of the things we talked about before we came on, came on live and we turned the mics on, um, I think one of the biggest things I want to make sure everybody out here is listening to this show, um, there's just so many things that we do in our lives and they don't have to be running related at all. This could be a business goal. It could be a marriage goal. It could be a relationship goal. It could be anything at all. Um, we put a big target out there for ourselves in life, a big goal. We want to do something by a certain age. We want to accomplish something. And then we actually make it happen. And I can tell you firsthand from experience that 
So few of us actually ever take a moment to literally smell the roses, put a smile on our face, look in the mirror and say, damn it, I did it. I am the Marathon Marcus. I fucking rocked at sub three. I made it happen. I didn't just run 259. I ran 256. All that work, all those hours, all that grinding, all that self-sacrifice, all the time that I had to even take away from my family and have my family like allow that, you know, be partners in that kind of goal, that pursuit, like take the time. So as a friend, I'm saying to you, take the time, enjoy it, man. I could see you smiling right now, but enjoy it, man. Like revel in it a little bit. It's okay. You did that work, man. You need to feel like, hey, I accomplished this. It's big. It doesn't mean that you are not going to go balls to the wall after 245 and then next level for London, a championship place. It doesn't mean any of that. But to be able to really go after that next thing with reckless abandon, even dare I say, you got to at least feel like, wow, I'm embracing yeah. this. Like I I did this. Yeah, totally. so, I mean, like the thing is that some people may look at my Instagram stuff or see me now and just think, oh, it's okay for that guy. He's talking running make six thirty pace like it's nothing. But when I was doing did the four fifty five in London, I basically did all the rookie mistakes. I started off way too hot. I blew up way too early, and I was walking, running, walking, running, and I got to um, I think like the city. And I remember to see my wife, and I was just like, I don't think I can do this. I, I literally want to walk. I was going to walk off the course. It was like she gave me a good talking to, and uh, made me finish the race. And it was just a suffer fest and you, you're in your own head. You're just like suffering. And, and it sounds horrible, but like, I just realize it more so now that suffering is actually a choice. And it sounds going to sound harsh, but I think like for now, like I've just thought, well, I don't need to suffer. Do you know I mean, it's a crap situation in the race I'm in, but I can get through it. But that I didn't always have that mindset. Do you know what I mean? And like, so when you sort of say, enjoy it, I do. I mean, I look back at that person. I think, man, like, such you know although i didn't have the, that strength to do it i still believed in myself there's still a fire that yeah you can do it you can still do something and i look back and i think well i proved myself right you know you've got so many people that are saying you're not you're not this you're not that you can't achieve this you're not a good runner you know i know you go no i know i think i can do this no i can do this and to have that just is such an amazing thing and it's something that you can't buy you can't put a price on it's just a an amazing feeling when i think back to it, i remember even post uh, when i finished the marathon and i was driving back i just like just thinking back to like the person that i really want to quit there's a couple of years when i stopped running i mean i after that 455 then i ran berlin and i was trying to break four i think i did a 404 five. i was just like man i hate running i'm done with running i hate running i'm not doing it anymore and i got my place to london couple of years afterwards and got back into it and it sort of slowly started to and then obviously years later i met my coach and we kind of went from there but yeah i i, I appreciate it from where i started to where i am now man it's been such a journey and there's been so many points that i could have quit and to look back and be like ah you didn't quit how amazing is that that's that's powerful powerful stuff and if you think about it you, you, your expression, your wife gave you a talking to. I love it. Um, sometimes we need the tough love. 
And, you know, we may not accept that tough love from, you know, some random stranger on the course, but your wife, yeah, you, you better, you better accept it from her, right? Or your husband um, for, for the lady runners that are out there that are listening. So yeah, like sometimes we need somebody to tell us to buck up and just suck it up and get through the day. And then when we do get through the day, like at some point, believe it or not, that experience that we think sucked and was awful and was horrible we can actually look back on that and say, holy shit, I kept going. Like I was dead. I was dead at like mile 10. Like I was finished. And I actually ran 16 more miles. Like I or ran, walked. I don't care. Or even if you walked all 16 miles, like it doesn't matter. You persisted, you pushed and you accomplished something that, you know, a lot of other people wouldn't when they get into a spot like that. So all of that is building and has built to, you know, make you into the runner that you are today. But more importantly, those lessons carry over to every facet of our life. Um, and they make us a better husband, a better business partner, a better sibling to our family, whatever it might be. We just, we just become, um, stronger people at the end of the day. So good on you, man. I know, um, you know, I, I'm super proud of you, but I know you got a ton of people out there that were just so thrilled for you to accomplish that goal. And more importantly, it's just going to be fun to see, you know, where you can take it, you know, where you can take it from here. But like I said, I just want to make sure that you're enjoying it, man. Like have a big smile on man and enjoy it. You know, uh, I think one thing is what I forgot to mention is well, I think I've relaxed more into it. And I know we spoke about the mantras for the race as well, but a good point as well was that I was fairly relaxed even before the race. Um, and even in terms of like how I saw the workouts, like before, a lot of people were just like, "Oh man, I didn't hit my didn't hit my pace, so it means I suck or I didn't do as great." And you're like, "Well, no, I just gave my best effort." So I mean, and that really transfers to other areas of your life. You can see things of not as like so black and white. Not nothing's probably you know. There's always another option. There's, no, there's always another step. Um, and I think you get that sort of calmness as well, and you can sort of take that into other areas of your life and. Yes, I think the lessons that running has taught me has been incredible. Well, it's fantastic stuff, Marcus. I'm so happy you were able to come back on with me and share all of the experiences of those those close calls, you know, building along the path and lessons learned, little things that happened um, that shaped you to get ready and steal you for the big day. And it's uh, it's just awesome to see it come to fruition for you um, and see all that hard work manifest itself and pay off. So Thank congrats, you. my brother. I'm super proud of you and I appreciate you taking the time with me. Is there anything else you want to uh, cover before we roll out of here? No, I think we've covered everything. I think I'm just going to enjoy and celebrate the next uh, couple of weeks off. <laughs> so <laughs> that's about it, really. I like that plan. I like that plan. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming back on. And you know our signature sign-off. We always tell everybody to keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, everybody. Wow. Talk about inspiring stuff. From 455 Marathoner to 256, chopping off two full hours. That's remarkable stuff and so inspiring. And it was just so fun to hear the excitement in Marcus's voice to have his dream come to fruition. So much hard work, so much done in the background, so such a such a long build that has to occur 
to have success like this over time. It's, it's such a cumulative process. And we talked about that at length in the episode. And I just think um, a lot of us out there are looking for that magic pill, that one special workout or something interesting they can do in their diet that's maybe going to get them uh, to the results they want. But it's really just nothing more than a subset of a lot of hard work over time. And that has to be continued um, over a period of years um, to get you um, the results you're after. So um, just stay after it, stay with it. And as you see, how's it worked out for my good friend, Marcus? I hope that it will work out for all of you as well who are listening to the show. So keep grinding, keep lacing them up, keep getting out there and good things will happen for you, my friends. So thank you all for everybody who's part of the show, everybody who takes the time to tune in, uh, take a moment to write a comment, write a review, share uh, a podcast on Instagram stories, means the world to me. So thank you so much for all of you who've been doing that. And I hope that you'll do the same with the Marathon Marcus's episode because it's super inspiring. And I have no doubt that anybody hearing it will be called to action and maybe want to make some changes in their running and lifestyle to pursue big goals as he's done. So thank you all for being part of this journey with me. Um, It's so appreciated by me and the team over here at Run Chats. Um, So just keep lacing them up, keep getting out that door, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends, and I will talk to you all soon. Peace out and stay in the fight.